0: near 75. I'm meteorologist Sally Russell. This is Think Radio.
1: Mississippi. You're listening to Southern Remedy Healthy and Fit on MPB Think Radio. I'm your host, Dr. Josie Bidwell, Associate Professor of Nursing and Nurse Practitioner at the University of Mississippi Medical Center. My guest today is licensed therapist, Catherine Rogers, and we're talking all about grief and coping. If you would like to share a story, a comment, or have a question, please give us a call at one eight seven seven mpb ring That's one 672 7464 Or send us an email at fit at mpbonline.org. We'll be back after the news.
2: From NPR News in Washington, I'm Lori London. President Trump's son in law and senior advisor, Jared Kushner, is meeting with the Senate Intelligence Committee today in a closed session. NPR's Merritt Kennedy reports Kushner is expected to face questions about his contact. With Russian officials.
0: Hours before his appearance, Kushner released an 11-page statement that gives his version of events about four meetings with Russians. He says he, quote, did not collude nor know of anyone else in the campaign who colluded with any foreign government. Kushner says he had hardly any contact with Russia representatives during the campaign. He described a highly scrutinized meeting with a Russian lawyer recently disclosed by Donald Trump Jr. as a waste of time. And he says he did not disclose meetings with Russians on a government forum due to a miscommunication with his assistant. Tomorrow, he'll be back on the Hill for another closed meeting, this time with the House Intelligence Committee. Both committees are conducting investigations into possible links between Trump associates and Russian officials during the presidential race. Merrick Kennedy, NPR News, Washington.
2: Meanwhile, President Trump is now lashing out at the top Democrat on the House Intelligence panel. The president tweeting that, quote, sleazy Adam Schiff, the totally biased congressman looking into Russia, spends all of his time on television pushing the Dem loss excuse. Trump has repeatedly called the investigation a witch hunt, spearheaded by Democrats. Volkswagen is holding a special meeting this week to discuss allegations that Germany's major carmakers have been operating a cartel since the mid-1990s, NPR's Windsor Johnston reports shares in the top three German carmakers took a nosedive after antitrust officials started investigating a possible breach of regulatory standards. At issue is whether car makers VW, Audi, Porsche, Mercedes, and BMW have been colluding on everything from vehicle development and engines to suppliers and emission systems. News magazine Der Spiegel reported on Friday that antitrust authorities had been investigating Volkswagen for possible collusion of steel prices, but during that probe, evidence of potential illegal collusion emerged. VW is still reeling after it admitted to cheating. U.S. Diesel Emissions Tests in 2015, which resulted in massive recalls and fines. Windsor Johnston, NPR News, Washington. Federal prosecutors have officially charged a 60-year-old truck driver with illegally transporting immigrants to the U.S. More than 100 people had been packed inside his sweltering tractor trailer in Texas. A 10th person has also died now, and nearly 20 others are hospitalized in dire condition. The driver could face the death penalty. On Wall Street, the Dow is down 50, 55 points. This is NPR. The parents of terminally ill baby Charlie Gard are dropping their legal bid to send him from the UK to the United States for experimental treatment. Their attorney says instead they've decided to treasure the short time they have left with him. The 11 month old has been on life support for a rare genetic condition that left him with severe brain damage. A massive wildfire on the Montana Range has destroyed at least 10 homes as ranchers cut fences to try to help their cattle escape the flames. Montana Public Radio's Eric Whitney reports.
3: Montana Governor Steve Bullock has declared a state of emergency in response to at least 19 large fires. The biggest is the so-called Lodgepole Complex in central Montana. Jeremy Olson, a spokesman for the team managing that fire, says it's been hard to get enough people to fight it. All the local resources in neighboring states were all on large fire incidents, so it took a little longer than we're probably used to in Montana. Olson says crews from as far as Arkansas and California are being brought in to help fight the fire. There are at least 18 other large fires burning in Montana, most in dry western forests. For NPR News, I'm Eric Whitney in Missoula.
2: Britain's princes William and Harry are recalling memories of their childhood, 20 years after the sudden death of their mother, Diana, Princess of Wales. They're also expressing regret over the last conversation they had with her. They say that last telephone call was desperately rushed. A new television documentary called Diana, Our Mother, Her Life and Legacy broadcasts this week. This is NPR.
4: Support for NPR comes from NPR stations. Other contributors include the George Gund Foundation, working to make Cleveland and Northeast Ohio more globally competitive, livable, sustainable, and just. More information available at GundFoundation.org and the Corporation for Public Broadcasting. This is Southern Remedy Healthy and Fit with Dr. Josie Bidwell on MPB Think Radio. To take part in today's show with your questions or comments, call 877-MPB-RING. That's 877-672-7464. Or you can email the show, fit at mpbonline.org. And now, Southern Remedy Healthy and Fit on MPB Think Radio.
1: Welcome back. You're listening to Southern Remedy Healthy and Fit on MPB Think Radio. I'm your host, Dr. Josie Bidwell, here with my guest, Katherine Rogers, and we're talking about grief today. And the deal with grief, guys, is it does not discriminate. It affects every age, race, gender, and ethnicity. So whether you're the person experiencing loss or helping someone else go through it, grief is an important topic for overall health. As I said my guest is Katherine Rogers. she's a licensed therapist and I'm so glad that she's here with me today to help answer these questions and if you have questions or comments or stories related to grief and coping and struggling with these type of issues, please give us a call at one eight seven seven MPB ring that's one eight seven seven six seven two seven four six four or you can send me an email at fit at mpbonline dot org. Good morning, Catherine. Good morning. Thank you so much for being here. Thank you so much for having me. Absolutely. And for those of you who say that name kind of sounds familiar, she's also a wonderful author who has a fantastic book out called Memphis Hoodoo Murders, right? That's right. That's right. right. I've read it. I love it. I'm waiting for the sequel because I'm slightly (laughs) in love with one of the characters, but she knows that already. It is not making her write it any faster, but that's okay. (laughs) Um, And we so want to talk about grief today and um, what that means and how we can help people move through that and help them grieve appropriately. Everybody throws around the term grief, but, you know, we're going to talk about what it is. But first, I want to talk about what you do. What What is a licensed therapist and what do you do on a daily basis? Absolutely.
5: Yes, I'm a licensed therapist and I help people when they are going through um, divorce, uh, loss of a child, loss of a parent. Um, maybe they're just having some career questions, trying to figure out which direction they need to go with their life. Um, sometimes people are experiencing panic attacks. Occasionally you have someone who's um, you know having hallucinations, but I do see a lot of grief and grief seems to be a paramount theme Because it's something that everybody's going to experience sooner or later, unfortunately. We wish it wasn't something that people had to go through, but it's part of the human experience, unfortunately, um, hard as it may be. So we do see a lot of grief, um, see a lot of kids with ADHD, um, difficulties adjusting to new schools, all sorts of things. So I see anybody from age 5 to
1: 95. All and, ages. It, and it's a little different than your traditional mental health provider, like a like a shrink. People say, oh, "I don't, I don't go to the shrink." It's a therapist is different, oh, right? Yeah, we don't prescribe medication,
5: um, and so sometimes people may need medication, so we can make a referral for that. Um, but. We do a lot of cognitive behavioral therapy, support, um, person-centered counseling to try to help people figure out which direction they need to go and support them as they do that. We give a lot of objective perspectives and feedback um, because oftentimes people are coming in and they just need somebody to help them figure out which way
1: they need to go. And so we help with that. That's fantastic. And I love how you talk about a team because it does take a team. You know, there are times when we need medicines. There are times when we need counseling. There are times when we need the combination of the two together to really have the best output. You mentioned cognitive behavioral therapy, and that's kind of a buzzword that you hear thrown around a lot. What exactly is cognitive behavioral therapy?
5: As we're looking at um, the situation at hand, the whole idea is that what actually happens to you is not as important as how you respond to it and how you look at it. If you and I both left today and both got in a car accident, and I left the accident going, wow, that wasn't that bad, and everybody's okay, and I have insurance to cover the situation, I'm glad it wasn't worse, my day is not ruined. If you leave the accident and go, this always happens to me, and I have the worst luck, and now I have all this to deal with, you're going to have a terrible day. So it's the whole idea of reframing situations and looking at it differently to try to find what's helpful and good to focus on so that
1: everything is more manageable. Right. It's kind of that what if also, you know, I mm-hmm. have a lot mm-hmm. of patients who say, but what if this happens? What if this happens? And catastrophizing. Yeah. You get, yeah, right. you get yeah. caught up in this cycle of of, anxiety. of picking the, the worst thing that could happen. And, you know, really cognitive behavioral kind of helps restructure that.
5: Absolutely. To help people actually prepare for the most realistic outcome, because it's a better um, investment of their energy and spend all the time preparing for worst case, for catastrophic the worst. Right. scenarios, right.
1: Right. which are probably not what's going to happen. Right. So, yeah. So let's get back to to grief and tell me, you know, what, what's the definition of grief and what does it mean? Grief is
5: essentially sadness over the loss of something that was significant to you. Um, You can have somebody in the family pass away and one person is devastated and the other person continues on with their daily life because it didn't really affect them as much at all. The level of grief you have with the loss depends on your relationship with the person or um, the event. Um, You can have grief about losing a job, about a breakup, about somebody moving away, or a loss of a child. It can be a loss of, your identity loss of your career
1: any kind of loss that was really significant you can result in grief and if you guys have questions or comments or want to share your story about grief we would love to talk with you today you can give us a call at one eight seven seven mpb ring that's one or you can always send us an email at fit at org. I'm so glad that you mentioned the, that there's different triggers for grief, because a lot of times we just think of it as the the death of a loved one or a significant illness with a loved one. But that's not the case. You know, it can be you mentioned loss of a career or loss of an expected future. I see that a lot in folks that they've kind of laid out their plan Mm -hmm. for life. And this is how things are going to go. And then something happens and it prevents that that pathway. And you grieve over that. And that's okay for that. You know, it's, that's normal to grieve through that. And I think people feel like they shouldn't, you know, cause nothing, nothing terrible has happened. You know, they haven't lost a loved one, but it's still a grieving process and still part of what needs to happen. And I'll talk a little bit, um, in a little while about, um, some of the grief that I've had and how, um, that's kind of transformed over, over my lifetime. But I want to talk about the physical part of grief because. The emotional part's pretty well known, you know, that you're, you've got this sadness, um, you may cry, that kind of stuff. But there's a physical side to grief as well. Talk to me about that. Yes, people can have physical symptoms in relationship with it. I
5: mean, their, their blood pressure might grow up, they might have panic attacks, which often feel like you're having a heart attack. And when people are having that, sometimes they go to the hospital, they get all kinds of scans run, they run up thousands of dollars in debt, and then finally the doctor says, there's nothing wrong with you, you need to go to counseling, and they go, you've got to be kidding me, Right? because I think I'm dying, and that's really, it's actually just, because um, people have panic attacks when they feel like they've had a life-threatening situation, and when you feel like you've lost a huge part of your life, and you don't know how to pick up the pieces and move forward, it can feel life-threatening. That's certainly something that comes up with people. It
1: does loss and of sleep, um, stomach aches, nausea, um, especially in kids. You know, little kids have behavioral a, problems. Yeah, too. have a hard time sometimes um, saying in words what it is they're feeling, so they'll present with these things like abdominal pain mm-hmm. or nausea or headaches or sleepiness or my favorite, I don't want to go. You know, and sometimes Avoidant. they just, yeah. yeah. Sometimes I sure. just don't want to go. But sometimes when you know, when you see it consistently day after day, I don't want to go. I don't want to go. I don't want to go. You know, what's what's the root of this underneath there? You know, we uh, our youngest uh, did that for probably two weeks. He was just, I don't want to go to school. I don't want to go to school. I don't want to go to school. And finally, we were like, let's talk about you know, why you don't want to go to school. And, of course, he was four. He was like, I just don't want to, you know. But when you really got down to it and said, no, like, is somebody being mean to you, Uh, you know, and went through all the different things, it was because he was having anxiety about Some of the schoolwork that they were doing, because he didn't feel like he was doing as well as the other students were, and so he was having anxiety about that, and it was just manifesting in "I don't want to to go here," you know, and I don't (laughs) want to do these things. So grief looks it looks different from person to person, and you know, I've heard people say, "Oh, they're doing so well after." whatever the event is, don't just take a person by how they're looking on the outside, right? (laughs) Right. It can be much uh, more significant. So that brings me to some myths, because there are some myths out there about grief, and I want us to go through those. Um, One of the myths is that um, it's important to be strong in the face of loss. You know, it's kind of that, you know, boys don't cry type of thing, you know, just shake it off and it will be okay. Is that true? True. It's very damaging to tell people that are really
5: sad and devastated about a loss that they have to be strong in that. And when you use the word strong, that means don't feel, don't care, just press forward and don't just don't um, grieve them because you're going to grieve sooner or later. You're going to grieve at some point. Um, and the irony of the whole thing is if somebody is really sad about losing somebody, they're going to grieve them, whether they let you know or not, but now they're going to feel guilty if you know. Right. So that you just isolated the person accidentally, unfortunately. Right. Which is not what people want to do. not what you want. Of
1: because I mean, it really does make it worse, you know, um, grieving is a normal process and you need a support system in order to be able to move through that. And sometimes that means being weak together. And, you know, I don't even like the word weak because it it doesn't mean that you're weak, but it means being vulnerable together, together. sad Sad together. 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 You um, you don't have to be strong for everyone for that. Um, The pain will go away faster if you ignore it. That sounds bad.
5: (laughs) You know, you think about things like that. If somebody had a broken leg and you told them, the pain will go away faster if you just ignore it, don't get it checked out. And that sounds really ridiculous. But people don't think about those kind of messages when it comes to emotional challenges. And they're just as medical as anything else. So, of course, you want to address pain because, you know,
1: pain um, hurts no matter whether it's physical or emotional. And, I mean, you're just right. It's a way to change the way we're thinking about emotional health in general. You know, I feel like sometimes when, when people, maybe they've had this panic attack that you're talking about, they've gone to the hospital, gotten worked up, and are told, you need to go to a counselor. Mm-hmm. They think, well, it's just all in my head. It's not. It's real. And it's a real Absolutely. real pain, Scary. Real, a real thing. Um, and so I don't know that we do a great job as healthcare providers in, in making them feel that way, that, you know, this is a real thing that you need to take care of and don't just brush it underneath the rug and don't be ashamed about it.
5: And stigma plays a role, too, because there's still a lot of um, fear about talking about it and being vulnerable. And so a lot of times health professionals don't know
1: that the person is going through that. Right. They don't want to get labeled as crazy. Right. You know, they, yeah. Yeah. Like, oh, of I'm course they aren't. It. But yeah, right. they're, they're scared of that. Sure. Well, because that's what we see. You know, we see in the media, people throw that word around and it's just simply not true. You know, it's yeah. just it's just another form of illness that needs to be. Addressed and cared for. Uh, If you don't cry, it means you aren't sorry about the loss. There's another guilt trip, so I don't like
5: that myth either. <laughs> um, everybody grieves differently. You know, sometimes people take on different roles. One person might be the person that makes all the crass roles and calls the family and plans the funeral, and it doesn't hit them until six months later. You have know, the other person who falls apart and cries, to everything, um, and they're the one everybody rallies around. So everybody grieves differently. Sometimes people laugh at funerals. Not, Of course, that's not respectful, but sometimes people are uncomfortable, and they don't know what to do, and so their reactions aren't always um,
1: what you would expect. So just because somebody is not crying doesn't mean they're not sad. And I love how you mentioned that person who's very task-oriented, and that's how mm-hmm. they're dealing with it. You know, they're, they've, they've made themselves they're go a list. Mode. Yeah. yeah. They've made themselves a list, and they've got to check all those things off the Absolutely. list. And, you know, it can be, you can have that person who's crying nonstop and this other person who's doing all the tasks, mm-hmm. and it looks like that person who's doing all the tasks is not coping and not doing things, but that's what they feel they need to get done in order to, to kind of honor that their loved one. Mm-hmm. You know, that's what I see is it's important to let them go through that because they're needing to do what they can for them now that that person isn't there and they need support where they are. Yeah. And then I love how you said support that they may crash 6 months later because everybody's great at rallying around folks the when an event six months. yeah, when an event occurs, but you know, 9 months, 10 months, a year, 2 years later you know, it it doesn't affect those people as much anymore. And so they, it's not on the forefront of their mind and that's okay, but it's, it is on the forefront of the mind of the person that's experienced that It's It's a life changing event, life changing event. And after the
5: first six months, that's when it really starts to hit people too, that this is the real, real reality for me. Right. How do I move forward? Sure.
1: I love that one. So you said said that one of the myths, myths is moving on with your life means forgetting about your loss. No, I think that that becomes, you know, I think
5: everything you love becomes a part of you. And so you're not going to forget events that happen in your life. They're going to be something that you move forward and you honor the person um, with the
1: loss because they were they've lived, you know? Yeah. And I want to talk about the stages of grief, because if anybody who's taken uh, a college psychology class has had to learn the stages of grief, and we're going to talk about those stages of grief when we come back from the break. And also when we come back from the break, I'm going to share my story about pregnancy loss. If you'd like to share your story, question or comment, give us a call at one eight seven seven mpb ring or send us an email at fit at mpbonline.org.
0: From the Capitol steps to your front door, MPB News covers the state like no one else. Our team of award-winning journalists keeps you informed on the news affecting your life. MPB News, online at mpbonline.org and on MPB Think Radio.
6: If you love everything MPB but need to know more, go check out our website, mpbonline.org. It's easy to navigate, so you'll get exactly where you want to go with the click of a button. You'll find statewide news stories, program schedules for MPB Think Radio and MPB Television, and a statewide calendar of events.
4: Bookmark mpbonline.org. To listen to stories and shows, go to mpbonline.org. This is Southern Remedy, healthy and fit on MPB Think Radio. To take part in today's show with your questions or comments, call 877-MPB-RING. That's 877-672-7464 or you can email the show fit at mpbonline.org.
1: Welcome back to Southern Remedy Healthy and Fit. My guest today is Katherine Rogers. She's a licensed therapist, and we are talking about grief today. And before we went to the break, we did get an email that asked what the difference between a therapist and a counselor is. And so I'm going to let Catherine address that in just a second. But if you want to give us a call, please do so at 1-877-MPB-RING. That's 1-877-672-7464. Or you can send us an email at fit at mpbonline.org. All right, Catherine, what is the difference between a therapist and a counselor? Is there a difference?
5: Yeah, thanks for the question. Um, Whoever emailed that, we actually get this question a lot. Um, In terms of doing counseling or doing therapy, we would use those words. um, that basically mean the same thing in terms of my field. Of course, there's different kinds of therapists that aren't what I do. There's occupational therapists, speech therapists, physical therapists. um, But I'm actually doing mental health in terms of therapy. Um, And in terms of counseling, you might have counselors that are guidance counselors who help um, kids, you know, with testing and getting ready for college and that sort of thing, doing their classes, school counseling, same thing, um, where they might work in a school system. But um, in terms of this, we're doing outpatient mental health counseling, which is which is also called outpatient therapy. So the names are, um, you could use them. They mean the same in thing. Interchangeable. Yes. yes,
1: exactly. So thank you for that question. It is often something that, you know, can be a little bit confusing for folks. Yeah. Um, and then there's, you know, licensed, there's marriage counselors as well, that kind of. Right, specialize in family dynamics and systems, right. whereas what I do focuses more on the individual. Fantastic. A witchy family also, yes. Before we went on the break, we talked about um, the stages of grief and that we were going to talk about those. What are the stages of grief? Well, when you think about the stages of grief, you think about Elizabeth Kubler-Ross, and
5: she actually developed these um, as the stages that someone would go through if they were dying from a terminal illness, and she decided these were denial, anger, bargaining, depression, and acceptance. Uh, You know, there's a lot of misunderstanding about this in terms of this idea that I've had people come to see me and they're all stressed out because they feel like they're not going to the stages the right way or they're out of order or they didn't they missed one and you know, I shake my head because it's it's a good um way to normalize something somebody might go in through with grief but it doesn't mean that everybody goes through all the stages there's no certain order you have to go through and if you miss one it, it's okay um, or but, if you go back
1: to one right absolutely
5: know? so um, there's there's no right or wrong way to go through stages of grief and you don't actually go through all of them
1: and there's there's no specific time frame you know right somebody and and we don't shouldn't judge folks if they seem to be going through them quicker than others or more delayed than absolutely. others you know yeah. everybody grieves in their own way in their own way at their own time and that really brings Brings me to um, why I wanted to cover this topic, and so I want to take a few minutes and let you guys know why I felt so led to cover this topic. Uh, This past week, this past Thursday, was the seven-year anniversary of my daughter's uh, death. I was, uh, she was stillborn, and so I want to take a second and talk about uh, pregnancy loss and. Uh, talk to all those mamas and daddies and grandparents out there who are going through this right now because it's often something that we don't talk about a lot because it uh, makes people uncomfortable sometimes to talk about. Um, and we all like to think that pregnancies end with uh, sweet little babies that we get to snuggle on. And the truth is they don't always do. You know, One in four pregnancies don't end the way that we think they do with the fairy tale, that there are miscarriages and stillbirths along the way. And a lot of these families kind of suffer in silence, and that's not what we want. We want people reaching out and getting the help that they need to move through this process, um, however they need to do it, and to realize that it's not their fault. That was one of the biggest things was the guilt um, associated with that. So I'll tell my story a little bit. I've talked about my boys before. I have a nine-year-old little boy. And then I have a six-year-old little boy, and my six-year-old is my rainbow baby. He's the baby that happened uh, after my daughter. But I do have a daughter. Her name is Jessie, and she uh, was stillborn in 2010. And I am not a good pregnant person, so we'll just go ahead and say <laughs> that. I do not do pregnancy well. Uh, my first child was uh, premature. He was born at 34 weeks, and he you would not know it now. He is just full of energy and life and all of that. Uh, but with her pregnancy, uh, it actually was going pretty well, you know, much, uh, much better than his did. I was sick as a dog most of the time with him. But with her, I was doing pretty well, had some headaches, um, but nothing that we couldn't manage and lots of regular checkups, lots of good heartbeats, all that kind of good sound. And about five months in, we were actually scheduled on a Monday to go find out what, uh, what we were having, whether we were having a boy or a girl. And that Sunday, I noticed I just had a little cramp and I had a little bit of spotting. Now, I had spotted the whole time with my older son. So I wasn't as concerned about that. But I, you know, I called the doctor and they said, well, why don't you just come on in over lunch and we'll go ahead and do a sonogram and then you can um, talk to the doctor afterwards. And I don't know what it was. I don't know if it's mama gut or what it is. But on the way, I just knew something wasn't wasn't right. And I remember telling my husband if she's dead and I called her a she already. I don't know why I said, if she's dead, you're going to have to sedate me. And he said, she's not dead. She's fine, you know, because he's my voice of reason. And um, we got in the room and I will never forget the look on the ultrasound tech face. And, you know, being a nurse, I know what that look, I know what it means when they have that look and they keep kind of repositioning the, the probe and, and looking. And, you know, we think of that beautiful sound of a heartbeat in a room. I can't tell you um, how horrible the silence is that's there. And she, uh, you know, she said, I will, uh, I'll go get the doctor. And all I remember is just apologizing to my husband over and over and over again because I felt like it was my fault. You know, I'm the mom. That's what you're supposed to do. You're supposed to take care of the baby. And uh, I remember getting off the table Crawling into the bathroom and throwing up uh, and then holding my husband while the doctor came back. And then you just go numb. You really just do. You're just numb because you don't you go into that. I've got to be strong for him. I was trying to be strong for my husband. Uh, And we go up to the doctor's office and, you know, we learn all, all about, you know. What's going to happen, and that she I'm too far enough I'm too far along to have um, what we call a DNC, which would be where they're actually able to just take the baby out I'm actually going to have to have labor and deliver her, so I uh, started medication that night to start contractions and went into the hospital the next day and there are things that people they just don't don't tell you to expect you know uh, they came in and said, "Did you want an epidural and I thought I don't know do I?" do I want an epidural? You know, is this, am I having a baby? You know, and they, you know, I had this wonderful nurse who came in and she is probably the person who touched me the most during all of this because as a nurse, I know what it's like to get the patient assignment of someone who's lost a child or is laboring with a, a you know, a fetal demise, so we call it. And that's the assignment nobody wants. They're like, crap, you know, this is, why I drew, the hard assignment. I drew the short stick today. Right. And I remember apologizing to her. You know, I said, I'm so sorry that you got me today. And she put her arms around me. She kissed me on the forehead and she said, I was supposed to get you today. It is my privilege to care for you today. And she was great. She told me exactly what to expect. She said, you want the epidural. Get the epidural. You want it. Um, and so I, I did get that and I'm thankful for that. But she said, now I want to know some things do you want to see her? Do you not want to see her? And it's completely okay, whichever way you go with that. You know, she made it okay for us to be where we were, you know, and she said, I want to tell you some things about what she's gonna look like. Because we found out that, you know, she had stopped growing a couple of weeks back. So she had, she had passed, she'd been passed for a little while. So there are some things that may not be as great when she comes out, you know, with her skin and that kind of things. She was very literal with us. She said, you know, this is exactly what going what to expect, expect, you know, and I'm happy to take her and prepare her and bring her back to you and let you see her and love on her or not, whichever way you want to go. And ultimately we elected to do that and it was the right decision for us. And I'll talk about some of the things that we we wish we would have done and didn't do as we go along the way. But that was the right thing for us to do. And so we, we um, pushed her into this world, and uh, so the nurses were there the whole time, my husband was there the whole time, and that was the best outcome we could have had for that. But um, my heart is still broken. It's been seven years, and there is no amount of time that can knit those pieces back together. Um, that can make that okay, and we choose to talk about her. That's the way we um, we move through our process is that we speak about this. Um, we actually give a scholarship at the nursing school in her honor um, so that um, others other people learn about grief and pregnancy loss, and you know, I'm selfish in the fact that I now get to hear her name every year at graduation. i not selfish. You're her mom. You're proud I, of your I kids. I am. I am proud of my kid. And, it's a good you thing. know, she'll never walk across the stage. But now I get to watch these nurses that have received her scholarship amazing. go and do fantastic things with their careers and their lives. And I always tell them, I'm, I'm going to be watching you because you've got her, you know, you've got her name after yours now. So go and do great things in this world. And, you know, it's been seven years, and every year we do the same thing. We uh, bake a cake. It's pink and has sprinkles and butterflies all over it. And I'll tell you about the significance of the butterfly in just a little bit. And we take balloons, pink balloons, even though the boys fuss. They wanted green this year. And I said, <laughs> it's not your birthday. It's hers. That's so green, uh, pink balloons. And we write a little message on them, and we send those up to heaven. And so now my 9-year-old knows exactly who his sister was. The six-year-old who was not even here when she died knows who she was, and they help us honor her every year. And that's one of the ways that we move through that. So if you guys are out there listening and you're struggling with this, please know that you're not alone. Please know that I would love to talk with you and help you through this. Catherine would love to, to give you pointers and tips and help you move through this. And you can give us a call at one eight seven seven mpb ring That's one 877 Or you can send me an email at fit at org. We're going to go to Port Gibson and talk to Linda this morning. Good morning, Linda. Good morning. How are
6: you? Oh, I'm okay. Uh,
1: How can we help you today?
6: Well, uh, my my sister's anniversary will be on August 1st, and we we lost her last year, and uh, I'm still dealing with it.
1: Yes, ma'am. Well, I'm sorry that you lost her, but I thank you for calling this morning. Um, Catherine, what can we do for Miss Linda? How can we help her? Well, Miss Linda, I'm so sorry for your loss. And anniversaries are, are difficult,
5: and, and you lose a sibling. There's not really any kind of cliff notes you get for how you cope with something that, like that. And um, it, family support certainly helps. And oftentimes talking about the person that has passed helps. And doing what you can to honor them in a way that's meaningful to that person. Um yeah. Like Josie talking about doing the scholarship. That's a that's a great idea in terms of a memorial. And um, sometimes you know the the first year is, is difficult for sure. And um, when you, if you were really close to somebody, you really miss them a lot. You know, so if this was somebody that was your best friend,
1: um, that's it was a loss. Three, years, lost.
6: Apart. three yeah. years apart. Oh. Yeah. yeah, yeah. He was younger than I am. Huh? You were yeah. big sister. Yeah.
1: Yeah, that can make it. Doubly hard. hard, you know, because yeah. you like you you're feel, supposed to look out for her. Right, you're yeah. supposed to look yeah. out Should for her your sister. sister yeah. But you know, I will tell you that that, that first year was terrible, um, speaking from my experience. But um, it gets better. It doesn't go away. It gets better. That right. sharpness right. that that just steals your breath gets better. But you know, the greatest thing that I ever learned was do whatever makes you. Okay, you know, if um, like for us, people said, well, are you going to have a funeral? You know, uh, well, yeah, she was alive. She died. We're having a funeral, you know, but I've known folks who have lost babies at the, you know, right around the same time and they didn't elect to have an actual funeral. And that was okay for them. So when you're moving through that grief, you've just got to do whatever you feel like is right at that time and trust yourself to do what what is right in that time.
5: One of the one of the biggest things, Miss Linda, I see when people are grieving is they they feel some sense of guilt. That's one of the biggest things I see when people walk in. They've lost somebody, they're sad about losing them and they think, If I only I had done this, or if only I had said this, or what would have happened if I'd done this and it's this kind of thought process that if they had done something different the person would be here. And as, you know, of course, to be in the receiving end of that, everybody would go, of course, you know, it's not your fault. You didn't do anything wrong. You did everything you could. They know you loved them, all this. But to be the person in your shoes with that, it it oftentimes is difficult, even if, you know, you were the person who took care of them better than anybody in the world. Um, That's something that that seems to be a common theme. So I
6: felt uh, good knowing that I talked with her to Wednesday before she passed.
1: So, um, you got to talk to her and, yeah. and, and share with her before she was gone. That was a, probably a big comfort for you, wasn't it?
6: Yeah. To
5: have that conversation.
6: But on the day that she passed, um, I had gone to the store bought artwork, and she wanted some baby cucumbers. Like I got that. And I got home and found out she had passed. Mm. had a heart attack.
1: Mm. she plant those cucumbers?
6: Oh, I bought them from a farmer's market. Bought
1: them from the farmer's market. Mm. Well, you know, it may help to to do something like that, you know, to kind of go get some cucumbers and do something with them on the anniversary of that, if that's what you feel like, you know, would be special to her. Or if you never want to look at a cucumber ever again, that's okay, okay too. (laughs) I think with, with Comfort
5: with Grief, it's all about what is meaningful and what is helpful to you. And um, and letting people in your life know what helps with all that too is good because a lot of times people will mean well and they might try to be helpful and sometimes they don't know what to say and sometimes they say the wrong things. Yes, with the best of intentions. Yes. Um, and I'm I'm certainly I will be thinking of you on this coming Tuesday with your sister's loss and I know that that's um a big deal and I'm sure she
1: was very fortunate to have you as a big sister. And Miss Linda, there is um, a website that you can go, go to called griefshare.org, dot org, and you can put in your zip code, and it will show you support groups in the surrounding area that are dealing with loss of a loved one. And so it might be a good idea to get plugged in with one of those support groups, and yeah, you know, share it's your almost story. Like,
6: uh, you it's are almost like the timeline. There is no timeline on no, grief.
5: No, no. That's right. There's okay. not. There is not.
6: You may, you may not have been close to her. But uh, there is no timeline. You're right. You can't expect for
1: people, you know, to uh, to just over be over it. it.
5: Mm-hmm. Right, because yeah. your life is different after you lose somebody, you know, and you. Yeah, yeah it's different, and it's it's been altered. Um, but, you know, I think sometimes you think about what the person would say if they were here because, you you know, and you, they're still part of you because they kind of live on in you in a lot of ways because you love her and she's important. She still matters.
1: Yeah. So I'm so sorry, Miss Linda, but <clears throat> I hope you'll check out that website and look at some support groups in your area. If you need more information about that, you can email me. I'll be happy to send you some more stuff, and I will be thinking about you, okay? All right.
6: Thank you.
1: Thank, thank you, you so for much for your calling in. And, Bye-bye. And we're going to take a quick break. And when we come back from the break, we're going to talk about those things you shouldn't say to somebody who's grieving. Absolutely. There, there, are, there are things out there. And I'll share some of the ones that were not helpful for me as I was moving through that process. And if you want to uh, join in that conversation, give us a call at 1-877-MPB-RING. That's 1-877-672-7464. We're talking grief and coping today after the break.
4: Remedy is a production of Mississippi Public Broadcasting Think Radio and is funded in part by a grant from the University of Mississippi Medical Center and by the generous support from you, our listeners.
0: An evening of jazz can be just what the doctor ordered. Join me, Meredith Michelle, with WJSU's Evening Jazz, 7 to 10 weeknights on MPB Music Radio.
3: Medicaid has been targeted for cuts in the Republican health care proposals that could hurt clients of crisis pregnancy centers, which counsel women against abortion and support new mothers.
7: It is very ironic to me that people who are pro-life would not also be pro-Medicaid. Medicaid
3: Medicaid and maternity care this afternoon
4: on All Things Considered from NPR News. Today at 4 on NPB Think Radio. News you can trust in radio built around you. Mississippi Public Broadcasting. This is Southern Remedy, healthy and fit on MPB Think Radio. To take part in today's show with your questions or comments, call 877-MPB-RING. That's 877-672-7464, or you can email the show, fit at mpbonline.org.
1: Southern Remedy Healthy and Fit. I'm Dr. Josie Bidwell, here with my guest, Katherine Rogers. And we're tackling the topic of grief today and how to help people move through that. Um, if you're moving through it right now or, or trying to move through, if you feel like you're stuck, that's what we're here for, and we would love to talk with you. You can give us a call at one 672 7464 And before we went on the break, we were talking about things not to say to people who are... Um, grieving who have lost someone and um, my favorite one that people said to me was everything happens for a reason oh yeah that is not helpful no it's not no. there because when for me having lost a child there is no reason a human brain can comprehend that would allow that to happen you know right. that it would be okay for that to happen your heart has been ripped out of your body stomped on, and then the pieces put back inside your body, there's there's no reason for that. Right. That would be uh, appropriate uh, for that. The piggyback to that was people would say, well, there must have been something wrong with her. You know, there, there, she probably had an illness and she would have been sick. So what? What, what does that change? What, what does right. that change? Right. You know, I would have loved to have cared for her as a sick child. Absolutely. You know, that was... You, you know, loved her. I loved her. She was wanted, you know. So those things were not those were not helpful to Mm-mm. me. Um, so what
5: are some that you hear? Um, some people think that they that the person ought to just be over it by now, mm-hmm. you know, and they think, well, you know, you just need to move on, or they'll say things like trust God. And of course, trusting God is great. I'm not criticizing that, right. but I think they're kind of underestimating the depth of that grief, right? Um, with those kind of comments, um, because there's been a significant loss, and sometimes when when pain is that big, it's hard to feel anything else. Mm-hmm. It's hard to feel hope. It's hard to feel. Yes. Faith and that. It's hard to take a
1: breath. Right. <laughs> the next breathe. breath yeah. is hard is hard to
5: take in. Yeah. I don't think people really I think people throw out a lot of cliched um sayings because they really don't know what to say. Mm. And so they say the wrong things because they're trying to make it right and they can't fix it. And
1: right. um sometimes it's better not to say anything yeah. than to say a bunch of things that are detrimental or right, that are harmful. Yeah. And we've got a caller, uh Leslie in Tupelo, who says what not to say. Good morning, Leslie. Oh, good morning. Hi. Hi. Um I just wanted to
7: share, uh, I hate to say this, but I feel like I'm an expert on this subject by now. Um, My mom died of breast cancer when I was 11, and so this August is actually going to be the 20th anniversary of her passing. And so when she died, I was a very young girl um, just approaching adolescence, and so there were a lot of feelings rolling around. And so everything that people said said to me about my mother and that grief um was like hyper analyzed at that time so right. i can tell you i'll start with the positive the only two things that you can really say to someone who is going through a grief process um is you have my sympathy and i will be there for you whatever you need right. Those are really the only two things that you should be saying to somebody who is going through grief because really the only way for people to relate to somebody else's grief like put themselves in that position and think about their own families and their own lives and then that becomes sort of a selfish perception and so really the best way to do it is to just be 100% for that other person you can't do anything to help them you cannot do anything to make them feel better literally the only thing that you can provide is your presence yes if they want it or your sympathy if that's any good to them and so I can say that um, when I was 11 going into I think sixth grade the big important thing that really upset me because I think it was right before school started, uh, with a lot of my classes, when they passed out all those papers at the beginning of each semester, they would say, make sure your mom signs this, give this to your mom when you get home, blah, 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 blah. Right. And I almost had like a, like a panic attack as a, like an 11, 12 year old. Um, just every, I would hear that 20 times in the first week of school, which was already hard, uh, to face the first anything after your mom dies. And so, um, especially with children, things like that that you might not even think about as being some way offensive. Like if you could just try to be more inclusive and understand that some people don't have
1: A uh, mom, the same life right? experience.
7: Yeah. and so Maybe they're going through something that, they, that you don't even have any idea or really any business knowing about. And just no. try to be, um, you know accommodating yes so, so those are my thoughts
1: and you know you. you do have my sympathy you know i uh i do not know that particular loss and um i do know exactly what you're saying though that that really the only thing that helps is somebody saying i'm here whatever you need um but you know nobody knows exactly what anybody else is walking through at that point in time so thank you so much for sharing that leslie and we've got a couple of other callers, and and we'll get to those in just one second. But you know, I had someone come to me after Jesse died, and she said, "Whatever you want to do right now, if you want to go, when I came back to work, she's like, if you want to go downstairs to the to the lab at the, and throw things, then that's what we'll do. If you want to go there and sit there, that's what we'll do. If you want me to leave you alone." That's what we'll do, and that was great. That's, you that's know, great. That was that's exactly right there. That's what you need. You know, she was yeah. like, and it's okay if you want to throw stuff. She was like, I would love for you not to hit me, but you know, she's like, right. if you feel like you need to, just you know, hit, aim for a fleshy, aim, away from you know, me. aim yeah. for a fleshy part. <laughs> right. You know, not my face. Um, but that is it's so true. Just being present for someone is so important.
3: With whatever, gonna, they with whatever they, they need, whatever they deal with it. Absolutely,
1: right. we're going to go to Grand Bay and talk to Rick this morning. Good morning, Rick.
3: Yeah, grief can happen over not just a loss, but a uh, catastrophe.
1: Mm-hmm,
5: for um, sure, my
3: uh, my wife was uh, gave birth to our one daughter, three months preemie. She was about eight inches long when she was born. Um, you know, there's that part of the grieving process that includes, uh, you know, uh, questioning why, and trying to figure out who was who was at fault. Right. Well, I was one at fault and uh she immediately packed up and left. It it grieved me to mm-hmm. the point where I had cardiomyelitis. You know what that is, right?
1: Right. Broken heart. Mm-hmm.
3: With the tendons in the heart.
1: Right. Broken heart's now,
3: now I'm trying to figure out I've been standing since nineteen ninety one waiting for a miracle in my marriage. I don't think it's part of the grieving process, like having, you know, done got over the grieving and moved on, mm-hmm. because I firmly believe in a covenant marriage, and um, so I'm kind of to the point trying to open up communication between my 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 wife, who's my, is a stranger right now, and uh, because there's a lot of catastrophic things going on in her life, my one daughter is uh, locked up right now in Etowah County Jail waiting to go to prison for uh, all the things stemming from meth-, meth addict addiction. Her and her girlfriend went out for a joyride in a car and it wasn't theirs, and it took on a three-county chase scene. Mm. Like, I was, you know, so there's a lot going on with her. But she, for some reason, it just so happened that when she was going through that grieving process, of having that happen to our daughter, and for having to be in the uh, the Birmingham, you know, or the UAB hospital for neonatal intensive care, that um, she fell into a bed of uh, hostile women, and uh, they they just fed into that, fed her into that, that anger and into that, you know, it's rather than just good counsel for for grieving, that was mm-hmm. kind of like you know a permanent part of her life, so. I don't know what to do in a situation
5: like that. There sounds like there's a lot going on and there's been a lot of loss and that, um, you know, when you lost your baby, there are a great number of hardships that came after that that it's kind of been hard to get your feet underneath you probably. And loss of a child can play a significant role in terms of um, putting a strain on marriage, even the best of marriages, just because people um, deal with it differently. And I'm sorry about what your daughter's going through with addiction. That is um, that's a difficult um, illness that people deal with. It, it may be that your wife and you may be getting some counseling together as a couple to kind of reinforce the relationship and to rebuild um, now that things look different than they used to it would be something to consider and i'm I'm so sorry for what you guys are going through, and I think you're really strong to have made it through all this and still be standing and you
1: know if Rick if if she's not open to counseling right now, it shouldn't stop you from going and getting some some help as well. Absolutely, um, and getting some counseling services there um, because that will ultimately impact you know how Family. you right how yeah. you interact I have a lot with of her. Guilt.
3: I have a lot of guilt. Yeah, you have know? got a lot of stuff to Daddy work through. Daddy wasn't there to give her that love, so she right. went on did things to try to find that love. Right, understand that. Yeah, mm-hmm. my other daughter, the one that was born premature, mm-hmm. I actually literally held her in my hand bonding with her from Gaston, Alabama, to Birmingham, Alabama, by life light because they were, her breath rate was like a, 190 breaths a minute when she was born. She had to get from, go in from pediatrician, mm-hmm. and they, they felt that if there was a chance to, to keep her alive on life light, bonding with one of the parents right. would be, and I literally held her in my hand. Yeah. She's eight inches long, and you know, got a picture of it.
1: Yeah, that's and, skin-to-skin uh, contact, and it does, yeah
3: you know and and now i she's so emotionally crippled that she won't even leave mama yeah. you know I don't even know if she's even gone to a prom or the last time I got a letter from her was like God twenty years ago mm-hmm. you know there was a, a reading between the lines there was so lack of self uh, self assurance and self esteem in the whole nine yards man it was just and, and I feel so guilty about this, you know All
1: right you know you can't change the way other people respond. So you can't make, you know, her go to therapy or your wife go to therapy. But, you know, you can start to work on your guilt and your grief. And, you know, it's not a weakness in in doing that and seeking help. I'm, you know, you're so strong for calling and sharing that story with us today. Took a lot of guys. Yeah. And I, I so hope that just being able to kind of talk about it helps a little bit, but that that you seek some additional counseling services for that and if you need help finding one please send me an email and i will do my absolute best to find somebody um that can help you with that
3: buddy over here over here in in grand bay okay um i've discussed it with my doctor i'm disabled right now okay Uh, because of cardiomyelitis right Uh, now i have heart problems where i i can't work anymore Right. Uh, and it permanently it permanently distorted the shape of my heart so i'm kind of messed up with that but i she wants to be with uh you know, anti-anxiety pills, and, right. you know, and, you know, the, with this Medicaid thing with the, with the patient or the, you know, primary care doctor, you know, steering everything, you know. I mean, you can't get your tooth pulled unless you get a permission from your primary care doctor. Right. And uh, so uh, she won't steer me anywhere, and she helps me out with a lot of other, you know, with a lot of other things, so I really don't want to jump off and do another doctor, you know.
1: Right. Rick, send me an email at fit at org, and I'm going to try and find somebody hey, hey, that we can now? get to. At what now? Fit, F-I-T, at, okay, M- at okay, mpb.
3: Okay. okay, I got the end part. I yeah. Didn't know what the beginning Yeah, was. Fit. Okay. Thank you
1: very much. You're so welcome, and I'll be happy to try and find somebody to help you thank out, you okay? Thank you for calling. Thank
6: you.
0: You're God welcome.
1: Thank you as, you, as well. All right, we're going to go to um, Charles in Jackson. You've been waiting a little while to talk to us, and thank you for holding on, Charles. How can we help you today?
6: Well, I'd like to pass on a comment that that, that I heard once from an Episcopal priest who was presiding at a funeral. And and it, it would be appropriate for certain people, not everybody, but he said, remember, our departed loved ones are only as far away as we wish them to be. In other words, the spirit of that person can still be sort of accessed,
1: at any time. You're right. And and so I mentioned earlier that I was gonna to talk to you all about the butterfly and what that means to me. Um, at her funeral, at Jesse's funeral Uh, As we were sitting there listening to the preacher who I'm sure delivered a beautiful um, speech that I do not remember any of. Um, A beautiful little butterfly came and flew all around him, all around the pastor, came and flew all around me and my other other child, my husband, and then went and lit on the casket. And so, um, of course, I know that was not her but you know it uh it was kind of like she was saying here here mama here I am I'm okay and I'm gonna be okay and you know now um butterflies show up at the most random times you know sometimes the boys um will be in the backyard playing and I'll be sitting with them and uh you know you can't help but kind of picture what you know, a third little head over there uh, would look like playing. And a butterfly will just come out of nowhere and flit around them and then fly away. And so that's kind of um, our symbol that we've uh, adopted for her. And it's weird how it just pops up um, uh, randomly. And so it very much feels like her spirit is here just saying, you know what, I'm okay. And, uh, And so it truly is, you know, however far away that, you know, you feel like their spirit is that's where they are and it, it provides comfort for us so
5: thank you sentiment. for that thank yeah you for sharing. thank you
1: for that charles and uh you know so uh one of the other things that we do for her um you know even though my dad cringes every time i talk about it i did get a tattoo um of her actual little tiny feet prints so i have her little footprints on my side if you're thinking about getting a tattoo, the rib area is not where you want to do that because it Painful. hurts very nice. much. Um, but that's where we got that. And so, uh, we did that because now I say she takes every step I take. And so everything mm, that I do, beautiful. yeah, everything I do, she's walking with me. Um, you know, when I dance, when I run, all those things, you know, she's running and dancing with me. So that's the way we choose to remember her. You keep her with you always. Yeah, you? always. And you know, i Tried to pick a spot that won't get all saggy and look bad as I get <laughs> as I get old. So hopefully that hopefully that's working out for it's me. Practical too. All right. Very quickly, we're going to go to Mikey and Mobile. Good morning, Mikey.
0: Hey, good morning. Um, I, I'm so still hearing the stories this morning. Mm-hmm. Um, I especially appreciate your generosity about uh, sharing the story of your daughter.
1: Yes, ma'am.
6: I have a neighbor that went
0: through
1: a similar
7: thing. Uh, But
6: I was actually calling to uh, request, uh, how
0: does one, what does one do that wants to be a supporter? Now, the lady who called in and said, first of all, don't say that there's a reason for everything. And what was the other?
1: Yeah, don't say there's a reason for everything or um, uh, what else did I say? Um, Oh, that something must have been wrong with her. Yeah, Yeah.
0: because that that makes it seem like, you know, somebody's got to be guilty. Right. It's got to be something that you did wrong. It's got to be somebody, you know, somehow that that person was to blame. Um, My question is, how does one... uh, I I have a friend whose mother committed suicide
6: Mm -hmm.
0: in a very uh, unfortunate way. And um, I would like to do the best that I could to support him Mm -hmm. and my neighbor who Mm -hmm. lost the daughter that was live for three weeks and um, anyone else that that comes through with grief Mm -hmm. so any other additional advice I think those two rules are great and thank you for the show I think you can do another whole show we could
1: do a whole another show and we will we'll give it a little break and then we'll do it you know if you want to support somebody just like we said just be there And just tell them, whatever you need from me right now is what I will do for you. In whatever capacity that person needs.
5: And I think it's great that you're really trying to be there for your friend. And that's probably going to show through um,